Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and whether you're a regular listener or perhaps this is your first time, either way, it's great to have you here with us today. So let's get straight into today's show. As a former salon owner and being a business coach, I'm very aware of the ever-evolving business models in the industry and some of the challenges that that represents. I've often thought about why salons don't try to grow the same way that law firms, accountancy firms, architecture firms do, with a partnership model that not only creates a career path and profit sharing for the partners, but it also allows the company to keep growing. I've come across many salons that are partnerships, and occasionally I find salons where there is a profit sharing scheme for one or two senior staff to encourage them to stay. But my guest on today's podcast is Blake Evans from the Share Art Salon in Tampa, Florida. And not only do they have a very impressive partnership model, but Blake is happy for me to dig in and ask him exactly how it works, which I think is very generous and transparent of him for the benefit of everyone else. So in today's podcast, we're going to discuss how do you decide who will be invited into the partnership program? How do they buy into the partnership? How is their shareholding valued? And what happens when partners want to sell their shares? And so much more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Blake. Thank you so much. I'm so stoked to to be here and have a great conversation with you. Yeah, me too. I mean, uh, before we started recording, you know, I, I said to you that uh, I've often wondered why salons um, don't investigate different business models. And I particularly love the business model you have. And that is what I want to dig into, because I think there's a lot of value in there. But I think before we talk about that, um, I think what we need to do is sort of set the scene and uh, uh, find out a little bit about who is Blake Evans. So uh, I happen to know that before hairdressing, you were actually at university doing a marketing degree. Uh, so that's interesting in itself. And I'm sure that's influ- influenced your business journey, et cetera. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I'm curious as to you were at university one day doing a marketing degree, and then you decided to go into hairdressing. What was that? transition all about what what drew you to become a hairdresser it was impulse to be transparent you know i um i was at a university that i i didn't really love a lot it was in a small town i went there because of a really great scholarship my original intention was to go to new york to do my marketing degree um and my friend fell through on going there so then that's what led me to that university and i just didn't like it very much and I, you know, I was just going out all the time. I, I was just more worried about socializing than school anyways. So I wanted a gap semester and my mother said, no, uh, you have to be in school for something at your age. And I was like, well, what if I went to hair school? And my friend and I were like bleaching each other's hair to be Lady Gaga, platinum blonde. And um, we decided right then and there that we were both going to hair school. Um, he went off to uh, one school, I went off to another, and it was the best decision I've ever made impulsively. <laughs> good, good. But well, I've got a question to ask you, which is a bit of a curveball because I know you've yeah. got a, an 11-year-old daughter. Yeah. And you just mentioned your mother. Um, yeah. Sort of saying to you, I know that, uh, I forget the exact words you said, but no, someone at your age, you need to be studying something. Uh, yeah. Would, would you do the same thing to your daughter? You know, I, I think post-secondary school, is necessary. So it, it's something after grade 12 or senior year is is necessary to help further you, whether that's hairdressing or university or any other trade. I think I think something is necessary. I think I would I, I would probably allow a gap semester if there's a reason behind it, whether it's to go travel the world 
or self-exploration, maybe you need a year to figure something out. I think yeah. that that is not as common in the States as it is elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and I, I would, I would, I would let, I would let her have like a gap semester, but it, it would need to be with intention. Like we're taking this year to figure out what the next few are going to look like. Yeah, you know? cool. That's a, that sounds like a, a good answer. Okay. So you decided to get into hairdressing. Now I know uh, where you're working, but what was the, you know, how did you end up there? I mean, it wasn't just part of a grand plan from a high no. force, but you know, <laughs> how, how did you, you know, stumble into where you're working? Yeah, I um, went to a school called Summit Salon Academy, um, which is a um, school dedicated to training hairdressers, um, skin um, therapists, nail um, massage. And in that school, um, I learned about all the different salons in the area. And in fact, I'm in Tampa, Florida, um, and I interviewed and applied at every salon that that piqued my interest. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed a lot. Um, and I think that's one of my biggest pieces of advice for anybody that's looking for a salon is as much as they are interviewing you, you are also interviewing them. Mm -hmm. um, so I was out interviewing salons as, you know, as they were interviewing me. And then I came across Sheer Art and um, it was the stability that made me feel really good. Um, like my, my mom actually told me to ask this question and I, always, I say it all the time. It's a great interview question to ask, which is how long has a lot of your employees worked here? And when I asked that question, I was met with 20 years, 24 years, um, 15 years, nine years, five years, you know, and that kind of stability made me really feel good about where I was choosing to start my career because I knew that the salon was not going to close overnight sure. um, and that something must be good happening here if people are choosing to spend, you know, a lifetime of their career in one place. Yeah, that's a, a really good observation uh, that you made. In fact, I was actually going to ask you that because of the way you express it. You you say, I interviewed at. Yeah. And that's sort of the way you say it is I was interviewing them every bit as much yeah. as they were interviewing me. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a I'm a a lot older than you. And it's interesting when you know people talk today about the industry and recruitment and finding new team members. Is there is that that different approach now? It's like the mm -hmm. the potential employee is interviewing you as much as you're interviewing them. Whereas if you go back to when I started hairdressing, and and that was you know a, a long time ago, it was very much like, oh my gosh, I've got an interview at yeah. such and such salon, and you you know went along. Yes, sir. No, sir. Three bags full, sir. And if you were offered a job, it was like, oh my God, I got the job, you know? So it's a yeah. very different way of thinking. And it's interesting because it's turned the whole recruitment thing on its head. Um, and because there's a shortage of people in a lot of places that want to get into the hair industry, it's only amplified that. So um, mm -hmm. that's uh, that, that fascinates me. Um, so the salons that you work in are called Share Art Salons in mm -hmm. uh, Tampa, Florida. There's two salons, aren't there? Yes. Correct yeah, in saying that? Two locations. Okay. Um, and and how, many, how many team members in there? Um, we're around 60 employees in total, including everybody. Um, and in terms of hairdressers, 44, 45, I think is where we're at. Okay. And so you came out of beauty school. And you interviewed um, all these different salon owners, yeah. <laughs> including Sheer Art, and you thought, yeah, you know, uh, you'll do, you'll, you'll be okay for me. I'll, I'll, I'll come work there. <laughs> um, you know, I don't mean it quite like that, but you know, uh, that was where you started. And here's yeah. the great, here's the great thing. This is what our listeners don't know. Most of them at this point, anyway, is that you're still there, but now yeah. you're one of the owners of the business. And I think that that is just an amazing story that you, you know, you start off as a, as an assistant straight out of beauty mm -hmm. school, you become a stylist and, and now you've become a, uh, an owner, uh, a partner in the business. And I think that's, that's a fantastic story, which I, I do want to dig into w when you went into hairdressing, when you, you know, made that transition from, from, you know, university doing a marketing degree, were you ever thinking about it from the business perspective or were you just thinking about it from the creative perspective? 
You know, one of the reasons why I chose the school that I went to, Summit Salon Academy, was it was the only school that spoke business. And that's kind of what I knew that I wanted to be in. They they mentioned things like, here is what your earning potential can be in the industry. Here, there are so many other routes that you can take in terms of becoming an educator or, um, you know, they, they showed different options, but they spoke business. And that made me feel really good. That made my mom feel really good. My mom immediately, you know, signed the, um, I think like the deposit check to, to sign up for school mm. um, right there because that's what they spoke and that's what made it, it a really easy decision. And then business has been kind of the core of every decision I've ever made is is focused around that. And and I and you know I'm a Gemini. Um and that means I have lots of personalities. One of my personalities is like so focused on business. And then uh the other part of me is like the emotion and how does everything feel. And I feel like that's been good for me at different levels in my career of, of following the, my gut, but also my brain in, in both both directions. Good. Well, I totally relate to that. I'm a Gemini as well. So oh, I perfect. completely <laughs> may, uh, understand exactly what you mean. You know, that sort of Jekyll and Hyde. Side yeah, totally. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, you started off there. You made that, you know, that progress through there over a number of years. And what I alluded to at the very beginning is that you now are a part owner um, mm-hmm. in in the business. And the the model that I was always intrigued by and still are is I've always looked at law firms. I've looked at accountancy yeah, firms. Exactly. I've looked at architectural firms. And I've gone, they have this great way of keeping their people, you know, because every architect doesn't sort of feel that they have to stay there for two or three years, build up some client base and contacts and then leave and open up their own business, you know, or lawyer or accountant, et cetera, et cetera, that lots of the professions have a variation on a theme of a model where once you've been there a certain amount of time, once you're bringing in a certain amount of money that you become a partner. In some cases you have to buy into that. Uh, In other cases, there's another, you know, another way in, but I've always looked at that and thought, that is such a brilliant idea for business. Why don't hairdressers do it? I didn't do it, uh, but especially with the way business models are changing now and the industry is undergoing this stage of reinvention, which is mm-hmm. always an ongoing thing, and, and a lot of it is about the independence, and I get that. There's a market for that without a shadow of a doubt. But the traditional commission-based business model, the employee-employer business model, whatever you want to call it, it needs to evolve. And it's not just about giving people more flexibility about their hours, et cetera. I think it's also about looking about at the very structure of business differently. And that's you know really why I'm so excited to talk to you about today, because you have this model and it works, you know, very successfully. Uh, I've never met the founder of the company, Joanne Powers, or her her daughter. I believe it's her daughter, Joanne Bagby, who I know are um, Heather uh, Bagby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, Heather Bagby, who who, who yeah. run the company as well. Uh, yeah. But I want to I want to ask you this question: What drove her to do that? Because she obviously didn't start the salon. Well, I shouldn't say obviously. I'm assuming she didn't start the salon like that. Um, so, so what, why did she decide to do this? What was the impetus there? When the way that Joanne tells the story is she loved growing people and she loved having, um, the ability to be able to help grow people through their career. And then she started with Summit Salon Business Center and attended one of the very first um, business conferences. And for those not familiar, it's a consulting firm in the, in the states and Canada, and we uh, and they do a lot of consulting for salons. And they shared the idea of a shareholder program. And basically, it's a way that your salon is going to be able to live forever. Because often, when a salon owner either retires or you know sadly passes away the salon changes hands to another individual and usually whatever culture was existing there is no longer there um in this model you become a shareholder at some stage in your career and then when you retire you release those shares and then you pass it on to the next generation but at any given time you have different levels of um, people who have been involved with the business over the years. So the culture can still stay. And then I think it's also really amazing because 
sometimes founders of salons can hold their company back because they don't see the bigger vision because of what they originally intended with their their business and not really the case with joanne but i see it a lot with um founders of salons and i hear this a lot in even um tech businesses is the the founder sometimes has to step down in order to allow a new ceo to take place so that the company can go forward mm. and i think a lot of salons can find themselves in that place i feel really lucky to have joanne in my orbit because she's always been a forward thinker and you know she started the shareholder program back in 2005 i believe um, when she did the first round of, of shareholders within the business and it's you know it, it just makes sense if you have someone who's an owner they're going to stay longer and they're going to treat the business different and they're going to want to help make sure that we get amazing employees and make sure employees feel valued so that they stay longer so then they can become shareholders so then one day the current shareholders can retire and do you see how that cycle yeah you know can continue and I, I it's it's so smart and it's exactly like you said with law firms do it architects do it why can't salons yeah exactly okay uh, i've got so many things to ask you about this um so was it based on any particular business model i mean was there an accountancy firm or an architectural firm or a lawyers that go well this is how we do it this is the, yeah. the the principle was it based on anything or was is it did you sort of start with a blank sheet of paper or did, you know joanne start they, with a, a blank sheet of yeah. paper I, you know, I never asked that. I I know specifically that it's something that Summit is um, a huge uh, proponent of to help businesses continue to grow. Um, I, I would be interested in what the origin story from the yeah. Summit side of things is why they recommend or where they got the idea from. I, I'm, I'm sure it's very easy. We can just point to a law firm and say that's yeah. where it started. And yeah. I'm sure someone in the Summit world is like, that's a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Okay. Do you know other salons that do it, you know, to the same model that you're doing it? Yeah. Yeah. There's salons all across the States and Canada that have shareholder programs um, and it's very successful. And, you know, our group is specifically um, different because there's so many of us that are shareholders. There's 13 total. Um, and I know of some salons that have two, some have four and you know, each of them has their really amazing strengths. And then, you know, obviously there's downsides to everything, um, but it's really successful. It's just, you know, a salon owner, a founder of a salon can say, if I step away, the salon will be okay. Mm, the salon yeah, exactly. will be able to exist. You know, your blood, sweat and tears of a, an entire career can still continue to live on. And I think that that's so, so beautiful. Yeah. Well, it also, it creates an exit strategy. Yeah. You know, like you, a lot of salon owners or business owners full stop where yeah. they get a payday, so to speak, is when they're able to sell the business, whether yeah. all of it or part of it in stages or whatever. So it creates a, a, a really good exit strategy, which I think is something that a lot of people don't think about. There was there was something you, you mentioned before, which I thought was really important to touch on as well. Uh, and that is that sometimes if you own a business and you own it for 20 years, 30 years, whatever it is, it, it's not, the problem isn't just about getting new ideas in. It's about mm -hmm. getting old ideas out. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and so you look at a lot of salons that have been around a long time and the problem is that the girl or guy running it are stuck in the past and there's thinking that what worked then should work now and what worked then simply doesn't work now. So yeah. it, it's a really good way by having partners involved in the business to get, uh, you know, not just new ideas in, but to also start to force um, old ideas out or to be questioned in the in the nicest possible way to, to you know, keep the company, uh, you know, being um, reinvented, so to speak. Uh, and one thing that I love about that particularly is um, because Joanne has had a salon since 1986, anytime I come up with an idea, 50% of the time, she was like, we did that before, but do you want to give it a shot and see how it does now? Yeah. And I, I, there's one of my favorite things about Joanne is that she often is like, we've done that and it didn't work, but let's see if it works now. And yeah. she still lets me and the other shareholders make our own owner learns and mistakes as well and sometimes the time is ready for the idea too and some some stuff works sometimes it doesn't just like any decision yeah. and i love that because 
I also know if something happens in our salon, we've been through it before, whether it's an employee leaving, a death uh, in someone's family, you know, pregnancy, all the life events that happen in someone's life with an employee. I can always look to Joanna and she's already been through it. So I can have someone guiding me through it too. And I think that that's worth its weight in gold um, in terms of my investment into the business is being able to turn somebody and have that advice um, versus trying to figure it out on my own at 31 years old and not having all this lived uh, work experience in terms of that part of the business. Yeah. And that is also another little nugget there that it's not a case of we've done that before. It didn't work. It's exactly. a case of we Very tried different. that 20 years ago. It didn't work, but hey, it may work now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's so much of anything in life is about, you know, timing. And just because something didn't work then, I mean, the world's a different place now. People are different now. They have a different attitude. We have different technology, et cetera. So there's all sorts of reasons why maybe something didn't work before, but maybe, you know, it's it's ready for it now. So let me ask you this question. You're a stylist in the salon after X mm-hmm. amount of years. And you eventually become a shareholder. What does that look like? How do you become mm-hmm. a partner? Do you do you put your hand up and say, I want to become a partner? Or is it something that's <laughs> offered to you or, or what? I um I know in my journey, I was pretty crystal. It's part of a recruitment strategy. I should say from the beginning that we we offer a career plan that can take you from zero dollars to um, you know, well, well past um, the beginning of six figures as an earning potential. And you also have the opportunity to become an owner. So that's kind of our pitch. So I knew from the jump that if I'm going to stay here, I want to be a, an owner one day. So if there was a situation where it's like, who wants to be a shareholder, I totally would have been the one raising my hand. But um, the, the metrics that we look for is either 15 years of service to our salon company, or if you are, because um, we work on a level system, if you're a level four or higher, and you have to be voted on by the board, um, which is all of the shareholders to prove you um, to become a shareholder. So mm. you have all of those layers to it. Okay, so once you've reached a level four status, um, mm-hmm. so how many levels are there? Um, in the system, we have six. Um, people go beyond it, but right. we keep it at level six, and we just increase our prices from there. Sure. Okay, so so once you've become a level four uh, mm-hmm. or been with the company for 15 years, then yep. – you get the tap on the shoulder, so to speak. <laughs> you could, you could, yeah. You know, not everyone's a fit for it, and you know, we've tapped people, and they said um, no, thank you, or yeah. not right now. It's not not my phase of life where I'm I'm ready to do this. Yeah, um, and that's totally okay too. Okay, so did you say before there are sixteen partners? Um, with there's thirteen of us. Th- 13, 13 partners. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. spread between two salons and about yep. sixty staff. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so, so that that's interesting. I have to ask you lots of stuff about that. Uh, what yeah. do you, what do you look for in someone becoming a partner? Now you're now that you are a partner. And yeah. so Does that does that mean that you have to vote that you have yeah. the right to veto someone else becoming a partner if you don't think they're a fit? So, yeah. so, what is it that you look for in people to go? Yeah, I think they'd be a great fit. I mean, the things that I consider is first a vocational approach to this career, which is you need to have the mindset of wanting to grow people for a living. Um, in our salon, our employees are number one. They are, we can we call them our number one guests because mm-hmm. my job when I walk in the building is not really taking care of the my book of clients that day. It's to make sure that the employees are having a really good experience and that they love their work because if the employees are happy, their clients are going to be happy. Now, of course, I do an amazing job at taking care of my guests, but I have no problem walking away from my client to go take care of an issue to make sure that my employee feels good or they have our support or something is being handled in a timely manner. So that, so I look for people who have that same mindset of really dedicated to growing other people in the industry. Um, and then, of course, their level of wanting to do more in the business, in the business, like the kind of people who are like, hey, can I do coaching in the salon? Can I teach a class? Can I do, you know, so people that just show initiative? Um, because the biggest thing I've learned since becoming a shareholder is that it's um, you are a salon owner. I think 
on the outside looking in, people would be like, 13 people, there's no way you do, you know, have the same feelings as a salon owner. It's not true. We just feel them as a collective, 13 of us in a, in a Zoom meeting or in a, a board meeting. Um, we just feel it together. And, you know, and it's it's an amazing experience. So I, I look for people that have that vocational experience, but also show, show initiative. Right. Okay. And if you're a partner, uh, are you you use the word partner sometimes, and you use the word shareholder sometimes. Are, yeah. they, the, are they the same thing? Yeah, I, I use them interchangeable just because yeah. people, um, you know, just for digestive. Yeah, yeah, I get it. So people, yeah, yeah. I, I wondered if there was a a legal distinction between the two, or you know, some internal distinction between the two. It, it, and you said the board has to approve them. Is mm-hmm. every partner? automatically on the board or is the yep. board another level of yeah for, it, yeah it's everybody that's a shareholder has a has a vote right okay got it all right so um you're you're offered um to be or asked if you would like to be a partner you go yahoo you know yippity d yeah. this is exactly what i wanted uh yeah. do you do you have to buy into it yeah we you know it is an investment um just like any other type of investment. So it's cool because there are two different ways you can take it. And in, in, at least in our salon, you can do a lump sum payment or you can um, have paycheck deductions to have that go towards your um, towards your shares and you can do one or the other. And um, and that, that that's how it's done. Um, but the why behind it is that you're making an investment in something that you have control over. Like when I make an investment in Tesla, mm. I have no control over what, what Elon Musk does to help drive that business, you know? Yeah. And obviously you can make money in that regard. But for me, I'm, I'm putting more money into a place I work that I have influence over so I can help grow that investment. So hopefully when I retire in however many years that I have grown that value. So when I go to, you know, exit and I sell my shares to the next generation of stylists that I'll have made it, you know, hopefully a really good return on my money. Right. Okay. Um, I just thought of what might have been a distinction between the words partnership and shareholder or partner and Mm -hmm. shareholder. And that is that I do know some salons where they have partners in it but mm-hmm. they don't they don't buy into it so mm-hmm. they're not shareholders they get um a profit uh distribution they get a percentage of the profit at the end of the year or whatever but mm-hmm. if they leave they leave so right. uh what you actually do is you you do there are x amount of shares in the company and yep. you actually buy into the company and you are a shareholder maybe that is something like that is a legal that's a good way to just yeah yeah, yeah, very interesting. Okay, uh, what what if I think you probably just answered this because you said that you can have paycheck deductions to pay for your your buy in. What I was going to ask you was, what if you don't have the money? Yeah, and, I mean that's 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 where it's at, and um, you can make those make those payments, and you can buy as little shares as you want or as many shares as you want based on availability of course because you know in order to buy shares they have to be available but you know i I think we've had people buy just one percent of the company um and that's awesome you know they're invested in in the company and there are people who've bought more um and you can do whatever works for you and then as more shares become available you have the opportunity to be able to buy the shares as well okay so so there's 13 shareholders in the company but mm-hmm. they don't all necessarily have the same amount of shares. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So some people have more more than others. Right. So if you had five shares and you decided to retire, there's mm-hmm. a value put on each of those shares yep. multiplied by five. That's the buy-in. You know, where yep. someone else might have ten shares, they have, well, they have double the amount of shares. Yeah. Do they have more voting power, or does each shareholder have the same vote regardless of how many shares we- they got? It depends on how the level of intensity of the decision. Um, and we go with majority vote, usually based on voting power. Um, however, we're a little bit more um, diplomatic than that too, because sometimes if it's, I'll, I'll use an example. There's a product we wanted to bring in, um, some people wanted to bring in, and we had people that, we had enough votes to 
bring the product into the salon company. However, the people who didn't want it, it was a very intense feeling from those people to not want that product to be in our, our business. Mm -hmm. So even though we had the vote to go forward with it, we chose not to bring it in because of the emotions that it evoked out of certain people within our leadership team. So we respected that by saying, you know what, it's not worth it over a product for people yeah. to be this upset, you know? Sure. Um, so, so we do, but it's not as formal as like, I'm sure like big corporations run. Um, we definitely take more, more into consideration. Sure. And, and I suppose that, that, uh, um, Joanne, and yeah. either have the sort of deciding vote on stuff or yeah joanne definitely does yeah. um and then heather with her you know everything that she's she's done in the business because she's um one of the owners and vice presidents at Summit salon business center you know she definitely has a lot of influence because she just you know she sees a lot out in the world yeah cool okay when you get the tap on the shoulder so to speak mm -hmm. does anyone say that they don't want it yeah yeah it's very normal i mean if right. You know, I, I remember one of my coworkers, and she still works with us now. When when she was asked at the same time that I was asked, she was um, like getting married, having a baby. Like you know, it just wasn't a phase of life where okay. the investment in the business side was ready. Um, and she's still amazing, and she's still an asset to to our company. And you know, I hope one day for sure that she becomes a shareholder because she's so incredible. Um, and yeah, but it was a no thank you for for right now. Yeah. Okay. Now I, I know uh, from doing a bit of research that, that you're really into social media, et cetera. And yeah. that doesn't surprise me because of your marketing background. So well, yeah. what I wanted to ask you was, do different partners have different areas of responsibility? So for example, yeah. you're very much into marketing. So it's a real yeah. fit that you're overseeing and, and training other people in social media. Is that sort of thing quite happen, you know, happen quite a lot in the company that Absolutely. Yeah, you ha you have um, our founder, Joanne, and she's the president of, of the company and the founder. So she's at the top that she oversees all of the shareholders. So yeah. then all the shareholders oversee the employees and then the employees see, take, take care of the clients, right? So um, Joanne oversees that. Joanne takes care of so many different things. Um, it's impressive, but she takes care of a lot of like financials and things like that. Then you have Heather who does like our consulting for our salon. So she makes sure that like the numbers in terms of our pricing strategy and um, budgets and, you know, all of those things are good. Um, you have people who oversee our associate program. Um, in addition to two salons, we have a boutique um, that we opened last year. Um, so we have people who oversee that. Um, we have people who do one-on-one -on -one coaching. We have people who oversee um, like our South Tampa location. And then, um, you know, it, like everyone at our extension department. And then we have people who um, train associates and okay. that is their job. Um, we have someone that's in charge of inventory. I'm trying to think about everyone's positions. Okay. Um, but, you know, it's everyone kind of has something overall, um, but then some people are just training in the salon and that's also what we need in our business because yeah. you know we just need someone that's focused on developing our, our next generation of talent yeah and um yeah and that, that's how that's how we do it oh that's good so it can be your sort of natural skill set it's not like you're being shoehorned yeah. something you don't want to do yeah, yeah it's like a football team right like you play to people's strengths you don't make people yeah. do things that they're not good at like you do not want me doing inventory Right, like okay. I, it would be a nightmare. Yeah. Um, anytime that I've had to help with it, I'm a nightmare to myself trying to handle right. it. Okay. Um, just let me be good with people and, you know, handling upset clients and interviewing and social media and stuff like that. Like, let me do yeah. that. Cool. Okay. Well, that's a, that's, that's a, a good, uh, you know, bunch of skill sets that you've got there. Um, how does your, your marketing background, I was sort of just going to go back to that for a minute. How does that, affected your approach to hairdressing i mean i know you weren't doing it for that long but right. i'm just curious as to you know for whatever you did learn in that area that how yeah. did that affect your approach to the hairdressing industry because as you know the hairdressing industry is in the nicest possible way from a business approach a lot of people that own salons they they don't and i'm including myself on this never went to university don't have a tertiary education so yeah. they approach business 
quite naively at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I certainly totally. did, and a lot of salon owners I know do, and then they learn and yeah. they learn quickly or they don't survive. So I'm just curious right. about how you'd answer that question. Yeah, you know, marketing like runs further into even high school for me. I, I did marketing competition and club and um, classes actually all through high school. That led me to going to school for marketing um, for that brief period of time. And um, it's every it's everything in how I I do did business. It, you know, I remember I took a class one time, and it's like you know people know um, the difference between a good haircut and a bad haircut but people don't know the difference between a, a good haircut and a great haircut a lot of the time. But people do know the difference between a good experience and a great experience. Mm. And in terms of marketing, I really made sure I, I focused on that. And then the other thing I've also learned with marketing is that consistency is key. So, you know, making sure that the experiences that my guests had were consistent, my offerings were consistent, asking for referrals were consistent, and that was what blew everything up was I was very diligent. I probably had like no friends in the salon because I, I was just laser focused on, on growing my business, you know, and at the time, you know, when I started at Sharp, my daughter was two months old, I was living at my mom's house, uh, didn't have a car. So I was just so laser focused on just growing and being able to provide for my family that I had my blinders on and it, but all of that stemmed from marketing and just understanding the importance of consistency. Well, that, that really surprised me, uh, what you just said, in that I don't believe you mentioned social media once, um, and I'm glad uh, yeah. because I know social media is a very strong string to your bow, so to speak. Of course, absolutely. But the understanding that you have about the experience the experience mm -hmm. and the relationships is marketing. So many mm -hmm. people think of marketing as being Instagram. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, 100%. Instagram is Instagram and Instagram is a really powerful and important thing, but it, on its yeah. own, it's not marketing. It's just a part of marketing. And the yeah. ultimate component of marketing is when I'm sat in that chair and you're the stylist and you come up and you talk to me and the experience I have from beginning to end is the very best bit of marketing that business can offer. So uh, the, the way you explained that was absolutely perfect and, and they're definitely 100% in line with what I think. Uh, so, yeah, great. Um, let's go back to the, the, the partnership thing for a minute. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm intrigued about how they're paid, et cetera. Are they mm -hmm. all paid? Are you all paid the same way? Um, I mean, yeah, there's uh, there, there's quarterly um, dividends that can okay. be to to give out. Um, there are times where we decide that we're not going to collect in the interest of the business. Um, you know, for example, like opening another salon location, there may be a period of time where we don't collect because you know all of our money is flowing into making sure that that salon opens and that we're you know we we will do a line of credit to open a a um, another location, but to keep that to a minimum. Mm -hmm. um and you know it it just it depends on on the time but yeah it's, it's typically like quarterly quarterly dividends right so but over and above that in terms of mm -hmm. your you know weekly like monthly salary. pay uh, oh are yeah you, are you are you on a fixed salary or are you on a commission basis or a combination yeah. of salary and commission how does that work Great question. Yeah, I'm um, as a stylist because we view it as as different jobs. As a stylist, we will get um, commission pay um, based on the level that that we're at. Mm -hmm. So there's that part of it. And then in terms of things that we do above and beyond, it, it can be different for every person. But typically, it comes down to like, you know, a salary that will help make sure that our time is covered um, when we're doing things on a consistent basis. Like for example. Um, social media or um coaching you know you'll get um a salary based on the amount of time that you spend doing that that subject there's still this level of you're you're an owner in the salon so you need to be doing things above and beyond just being a stylist yeah but um you know anything that goes above that you know is definitely compensated for right okay that's interesting okay um when it comes to profit, you touched on this a minute ago about uh, mm -hmm. about uh, dividends and mm -hmm. there's a quarterly dividend uh, mm -hmm. for, for for people who don't necessarily understand, you know, how profit works in the business. Mm -hmm. um, I'm assuming that you have like a meeting, you know, quarterly, annually, whatever, 
you have your profit and loss and you know mm-hmm. Joanne or Heather says you know as partners this is how much money we we made as profit and mm-hmm. we can either take that as a dividend relative to your mm-hmm. shareholding or we can keep it in the business as retained earnings for yep. whatever that might need or indeed a combination of the two and and that's how you that's, that's, that's pretty yeah. much how you do it you do a mixture of we pay a dividend quarterly, but we also keep a certain amount of retained earnings to reinvest back into the business for expansion or, you know, remodeling and, you know, whatever, whatever else. So, yep. yeah, you, you've hit the nail on the head. We always retain something for the business. We view the, the business as a person themselves mm. um, that has bills, that needs commission, that needs, you know, so we, we always retain something for the business and we will always take some profits and leave it with the business because, you know, rainy day recessions and uh, sure. pandemics and everything yeah. that a business can come up against you know you always want to have that that cushion there yeah cool okay if if you have a partner who isn't pulling their weight for whatever yeah. reason you know comes under the term not pulling their weight uh can you can you get rid of them can you buy a partner out without them volunteering to be bought out um, you know, we, I have never experienced that, but I know that it's definitely an option. Like, right. you know, I know that we've had one shareholder, someone who's a shareholder before who um, needed to uh, leave our company. And I know that that exit was swift and they they took care of it. It was before I was a shareholder, so I didn't get to see mm-hmm. the inner workings of it. But I know that it's possible. And of course, um, not only sometimes someone needs to be pushed out, but sometimes people are ready to leave. Mm. And there's a way that you can step back from that as well. Um, and it's all written into the contracts of everything that you sign as you, whenever you become an owner. Right. Okay. So c- can you talk to us about how the shares are valued? So there's X amount of shares in the company. Let's say, let's mm-hmm. say there's a hundred shares or whatever the number is going to be. And, right. and, and I'm going to become a shareholder and I'm going to buy five shares because I've been invited in. Uh, to the company and there are five shares available so i'm going to buy them what yeah. h- h- how do you value those shares what's the process there yeah so the way that we did it is we used um a service from um summit that is a, a business valuation because um it's really important to make sure that it's fair to all parties obviously the people selling the shares and yeah. also to the people buying them yeah. so we used an outside party to do that valuation um to make sure that it's fair and it's just based on um sales you know how profitable is your is your business and taking things into consideration like um and i think about smaller salons particularly in this situation because in our size if someone leaves even if they are a top earner the business will be okay um but i think about these smaller businesses and if you're going to become a partner with somebody but 25 percent of the business comes from one service provider but that service provider is leaving Mm-hmm. you cannot include that into the valuation of okay. the business because 25% of that business is about to leave. Yeah. So that's what the valuation is, is, is the profit of the business, but also is there other moving parts that we need to take? Um, are there other moving parts that we need to take in consideration? Um, like someone, someone leaving, um, it's less intense on our business, but I've, I've seen it happen in smaller businesses where people are trying to sell business and they're like, well, I'm going to, I'm still doing hair, but I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, there goes 25% of your, <laughs> yeah. your business, you know? So the value, so, so the, the, the value of the shares yeah. is, is worked out on um, some formula to do with a multiple of the income or yeah. some formula to do with a multiple of the profit. Yes. So, yeah. Some businesses do that. They value a company based on profit and a multiple of that. Other companies are valued based on total sales and a yeah. multiple of that. What What do you use or am I confusing the issue? Yeah. So um, I'm just like looking up the exact. Um, it's it's the estimated value of, of the actual company itself. And then this says 
So it's the valuation process tells the owner what the current worth of their business is by analyzing all aspects of the business, including the company's management, capital structure, future earnings, and the market value of its assets. So that includes too, um, and I'm glad I, I looked that up too, of course, like the value of the things you physically own in the business, like yeah. the hairdryer to the shampoo rolls and things like that. Right. I'm glad that we looked that up. But yeah, also just like, you know the profitability of, of yeah. the business but but you use a third a third party to, third to put party. that valuation on so an accountant yeah. firm whatever they value yeah. it based on that so so yeah that's fair and that's completely transparent that's that's really interesting um so are most of the people who sell their shares so so at the moment you've got 13 shareholders does that mean that no one else can become a shareholder unless one of those 13 want to sell their shares um currently all shares are held um the right. business doesn't hold any shares themselves um but there's oh there's always moving pieces people are looking to step back so they may sell some shares but not all okay. um there are people looking to retire and mm -hmm. they may they may i think some like let some go before and are ready to let go of some so there's always that kind of nature of life and then you know there may be people wanting to do other things and might sell their shares so um as long as shares are available people will be able to buy them but yeah i mean and also we have people like joanne and heather who have the vocational leadership of if there's someone that really wants to be a shareholder really badly they may release some of their shares in order to allow someone to come into the fold and i know um that that has happened in Joanne's case, she's released a little bit more than she probably wanted to, but in the interest of allowing everybody to come in that wanted to come in. You just mentioned retirement. Mm -hmm. When people want out because they're retiring, then that probably values their shares higher, doesn't it? Because I'm retiring, yeah. I'm not going to take the clients with me. So those sales are going to stay within the company. Whereas yeah. if I'm leaving to open up my own salon or to go and work exactly. for someone else, right, got it. So so yeah. my shares are more valuable if I'm going to retire. Can you retire and be a passive shareholder? Um, so the way that we have it written is that you have to be an active employee to become a shareholder. So that means that you need to provide some sort of service to the salon. So that could be consulting um, and not doing hair. That's okay. Um, or it could be doing coaching and that's considered a service. So that you have to be actively doing something within the, the company to be a shareholder. The other benefit to that particular thing that's written to the contract is should someone get a divorce the business is protected so right. the, the 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 divorcing partner um can't get half of the shares of a of that shareholder now on the personal finance side you have to take the valuation of all of that into consideration but the actual shares themselves cannot go to an outside party yeah. you have to be an employee of the salon to hold shares in the business yeah okay that's that's really interesting and you've got to put stuff like that in there yeah i'm like i don't business. know who came up with that yeah but they're genius and i, I, I can tell you all it, all of it, the flowers it, in the world it was probably someone that got divorced Back divorced yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay all right so can you sell your shares back into the business? I know the answer is yes. Yeah. But so so I work there and I want to retire. And I say to Joanne, Joanne, I want to retire. I want to sell my shares. Um, yeah. If there isn't someone else, an up and coming stylist who Joanne wants to be a shareholder, can Joanne buy them back for herself so that she increases yeah, her absolutely. share? Absolutely. Right. Okay. So absolutely. She can, or anyone yeah. can. Yeah. Anybody can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I like at this point, yeah, like there, there's stuff like, even though there's thir there's 13 people, right, that have yeah. already have shares. So I I guarantee you there's some more of us that would buy shares should they become available. Sure. Okay. Because that increases your uh, distribution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, when, yeah, it when increases your distribution. distribution and yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's, um, you know, and I'm still 31 years old, so I still have got quite a ways to go before retirement, um, yeah. hopefully. So, <laughs> you know, um, I, all of that is definitely in my mind as well. Yeah. Is, is a shareholder automatically a manager? Um, you know, 
socially around the salon yes um mm. it sometimes it's not as formal mm. but yes yeah it's you know actually when I started there often the shareholders were, were referred to as managers yeah and it was confusing because I was like are they an owner or are they a manager but you can be both um so but around the salon yeah everyone everyone is held to a standard of you're helping make sure that the culture and that the employees feel taken care of yeah how do you make decisions big decisions or small decisions you gave an example before about a product that that yeah. really polarized people must it have been really one, did yeah must have been that was one a wild hell of a product <laughs> we don't oh have to gosh. name it but yeah. Anthony, that conversation was like in month two of me being a shareholder and i was like oh my gosh this is this is so intense <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was and i looked at joanne and i was like is it always this intense and she was like no um no we've never had this intense of a conversation around a product and I was okay. like gosh um so yeah no normally it's not that not that right. intense, but yeah so, it was a pretty polarizing product in our industry too so it, it makes sense all right so so let me give you give me a couple of simple examples uh I'm a shareholder and I think the coffee that we have is dreadful and I want to change suppliers so that's a small thing and here's a bit here's a big thing uh, I think we should expand and the space next door has come up and I think we should take on that lease and knock the wall down. So I'm cool. a shareholder and I think yeah. both of those things. How do you negotiate around that in amongst all these different, you know, vested interests, different partners? So a lot of the time, the small things will go coffee first. Um, coffee is is part of operations, which um, one of the shareholders oversees in terms of um the the business itself like that shareholder and joanne will make that decision it's such a small decision yeah if a coffee changes it's not a big deal um if there's a shareholder that's upset with it it'll be fine but we're so, in such tight communication that any changes that are made go into a group chat and we're notified of everything as it happens um then the big stuff expansion right like we just opened a boutique and it's literally in a outpost that's 400 square feet right in front of our flagship location and we knew that it was open and we knew that if it ever became open we wanted to do something with it we mm -hmm. just weren't quite sure what we went from everything from a coffee shop to a boutique to a lash studio to a hair extension studio to a barber shop those mm -hmm. were kind of the ideas that we yeah. were floating around so when it actually became available we held a meeting to discuss like what do we want to do with it um and then we pushed in the direction of the boutique and then we talked about the specifics of the boutique like what are we going to carry and how that goes and all of that had and that was down to um you know voting power and then shareholder power and it went through and as a collective even though you have a vote and you don't win quote unquote win you know we all win in the yeah, end if yeah. you don't win um you have to be supportive of that decision and we have to be a unified front because as a leadership team if we're fractured it's going to trickle down right into the employees and they're going to know what's going on so yep. um you know if if someone wasn't supportive of the the boutique they have to be now and then now it's great actually it's been a really cool venture um i was in the middle on that decision i was like i could see this being really good but i have more questions mm -hmm. but we didn't have a quite enough time for me and i have a lot of questions all the time so we have a quite enough time for all the questions that i had and other shareholders had so we moved forward with the decision and i'm very excited about it because it, it has been a really cool venture that's so different than on a salon good good yeah sometimes you do need to you know be led don't you and sometimes it works exactly out well, and sometimes it yeah. doesn't you know so yeah. uh yes yeah, it's, it's it's a great model um and, and in line with that with the dividend thing you know mm -hmm. so it's quarterly dividend time mm -hmm. let's imagine that i'm uh getting married and mm -hmm. i need every penny i can get my hands on uh mm -hmm. because we're trying to buy a house or something or for a honeymoon or whatever so i want the dividend paid but mm -hmm. let's imagine that you don't want the dividend paid you want it as retained earnings to invest into this example the boutique sort of thing mm -hmm. can can we both be satisfied can 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 i, I have the dividend paid know. and you have yours invested how does that work yeah I, that's not something we've ever had happen um 
So I don't know what the answer to that is. I would have to ask like Heather or Joanne about that because yeah. we haven't, at least in in my couple of years as a shareholder, uh, we haven't um, come up across that. But I'm sure, I'm sure the answer is you can have both. Yeah, sure, I'm sure it is. But you know, I'm I'm not sure exactly on on what that looks like. Okay, well we'll leave that there. Uh, what, just before we wrap up, then, what what, what problems? do you find this model creates? Because I can see yeah. so many positives that come out of it. Yeah. Looking in it, there must be things that, you know, are, are problems as well. What would they what would they be for anyone who's thinking that this is something they want to check out? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you need to go into it and understanding that not everything is going to be rainbows and butterflies. There are so many upsides, like you said, Anthony, like there, there are so many. Um, the downsides, I think, are that you have 13 people, which is 13 point of views and 13 opinions. And with that comes the agreement that we have to respect each other, um, that we have to hear each other out. Um, and we have to be a unified front, no matter what happens in that boardroom, when you step mm -hmm. out into the, into the salon space, we have to be a unified front. Um, it doesn't matter what happened behind closed doors we're out there and we call it being on stage like you're on stage and everything is good for the employees so that's kind of hard when you have 13 people right and 13 people have their their closer people that they are in the salon um so the biggest thing i've learned is is truly like hearing people out understanding their perspective understanding that they they think the way they think for a reason then being able to move forward and sometimes you don't fully agree personally with the direction that it's going but because you chose to be on a team you have to go forward with that team okay. and and if someone can't handle that motion of because i signed up to go on a team and i need to move forward with my team um then it's not for them and yeah. that's okay too you know yeah. and i think that, that people need to be really honest with themselves because it's a lot of money that you're investing mm -hmm. into that venture um if you are like a i can do everything on my own type personality shareholding isn't for you you know mm -hmm. if i'm if you're an i'm always right type of person shareholding's not for you you need to go do this on your own um because i think it's so i i love it because i'm always i want to hear people's point of views i want to be challenged i want you know i want to be i want my point of view to be debunked all the time because i feel like i learn and grow more when people prove me wrong um so that's my mindset around a lot of that um but there are times of course when i was like no this is you know you, you know, we all have these things we're passionate about and then it moves in a direction that you're not excited about it's hard but you have to you know you have to deal with it because you, you chose to be on a team you could have done this on your own um but I, I that's why I like it is that there are so many point of views and then you have the depth of experience of people who've been doing hair for 36 years to uh 25 years to 30 years to you know owning a business for 36 you know and um I, it's so amazing it is so incredible yeah. um and you just have to be aware of the realities of it like you know mm. point is, there a, period. is there a plan to uh open more salons because 13 partners between two salons it yeah. sounds like a great opportunity wow we could we could make this bigger yeah i mean i would love that i we are very um focused on making sure the locations are close to maxed out before we ever open another location um yeah. we did the boutique um as a separate venture that didn't require as much capital as a um full salon location would require as you can imagine it's only 400 square feet mm. so you know we're we're really focused on growing the boutique first and those locations but yeah I, I would love for us to have more locations I I definitely in my personal point of view I see big like big big um it's you know right now we're still I think we're coming into four years of being shareholders together it still feels very fresh and new like it's just mm -hmm. a whole new way of being and we've dealt with a pandemic and now heading in, into a recession together so just learning those aspects of the business too is is first we need to get that planted and then i could totally see other locations in the future i would love that very much yeah yeah well it's a, it's a good platform you've built 
Okay, listen, I, I know we need to uh, wrap up, but I, I want to thank you from being so, like, you know, open. I, I sometimes get people say to me, I can't believe that you ask some of the questions that you do because they, yeah. they're a bit invasive. But uh, I often yeah. will comment on the podcast and say that I always give people the opportunity to say, Anthony, don't ask me about this or that. And uh, and you said at the beginning, you're a totally open book and I could ask you anything. And I, I know from having been doing this a long time that there's a lot of salon owners that would have been hanging off your every word and looking at this as a there's a great way to grow their business, to keep their staff, uh, to create an exit strategy. To, to There's so many positives about it. And uh, and I just want to thank you from everybody uh, and from myself for being such an open book and uh, being willing to, to share everything. So uh, whereabouts can people connect with you on Instagram or other social channels? Because I know you're uh, you know, very into your, um, you know, TikTok as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love to connect with everybody. My Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, everything is at Blake Reed Evans, B-L-A-K-E-R-E-E-D-E-V-A-N-S on all platforms. Um, and then if you ever are an emailing type of person, my email is Evans at gmail.com. Right. Fabulous. Okay. I'll put those links uh, on my website, growmysalonbusiness.com uh, in the show notes for today's podcast. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast with Blake Evans and you've enjoyed it as much as I have, then do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple podcast app. So uh, to wrap up, Blake, thank you ever so much for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Thank you, Anthony, for having me. It's been an amazing conversation. And my biggest challenge to our friends listening is to just stay open to what's possible in this industry. I think so often we are so focused on this is how things have been done and I need to continue to do it that way. And we need to flip it on its head and we need to do things differently than we've ever done them before because the world is different than it was before. And I challenge everyone to just think how can I be doing this differently and more efficiently and at the end of the day it's hair and it's beauty and it needs to be fun and yeah. if it's not fun you're not doing it right exactly wise words to finish on thank you so much Blake thank you thank you for listening to today's podcast if you'd like to connect with us you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at grow my salon business and if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast make sure that you subscribe like and share it with your friends until next time this is anthony whitaker wishing you continued success